0: Our Bible reading today comes from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 to 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfil it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfil your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfil it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. So far, the reading of God's word.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to church today. My name is Adam, and it's great to have you join us, whether you're with us in the building or whether you're joining us online. You know, when I was growing up, I would occasionally watch The Simpsons. When I say occasionally, I mean as often as I could get away with it. But what often fascinated me about the Simpsons was the fact that almost everyone in the town of Springfield would attend church, even the Simpsons, though not everyone in the family was thrilled about it. I think this picture summarizes Homer's attitude towards church. Homer was disinterested in church. He would not only sleep through church, he would listen to football during church, he would heckle the preacher, Reverend Lovejoy, which I don't endorse. He even once destroyed the church by accident. Homer is the classic example of the person who goes to church out of duty. They go because their family goes, but they really don't want to be there. Now, the truth is, we go to church for all different kinds of reasons. Some people go to church out of tradition. It's what they've always done. Some people out of superstition. They're worried what will happen if they stop going to church. Others come to church to seek answers or to seek position and power. Some come to church to be entertained or to socialize. And of course, many come to church to worship. Now the question is, what about you? Why do you come to church? Why do I come to church? Why have we come to church today? Now today, as we come to this passage from the book of Ecclesiastes, as we continue our sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes called Chasing the Wind, the teacher, the author of this book, he turns his attention to the church. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is an exploration of life in this world. It's an exploration of of the meaning of life. So far, the teacher has searched for meaning in wisdom and pleasure and work. He's looked at our society, at our justice systems, at our leaders. Today, he goes to church and he talks to churchgoers. Now, this is an incredibly important topic, especially at the moment. Because the way that we do church has drastically changed in the last few months. I mean, many of us have gotten used to watching church in our PJs. Or we've gotten used to church playing on the screen of our TVs in the background while we get our breakfast ready or while we do something else. Even now that we're able to get back together in church in the building, it's still different. We can't have everyone in here. We have to sit apart. Even right now, you're watching me on a screen. And because of all of these different changes, it's really important for us to evaluate our attitude towards church. Why do we come? How do we come? What's our attitude and our disposition towards church? These are incredibly important questions. And you might be surprised at the answer that this passage gives us. Because it's not a warm and fuzzy answer. In fact, this passage actually tells us that we have come to a dangerous place today. Now, you might not think of church as dangerous, but that's exactly what this passage says. And don't worry, we have our COVID-safe plans in place. The building is structurally sound. You know, Those things are okay. Now, the teacher is saying the danger we face when we come to church, it is the danger of approaching God. Here's the way that uh, author and pastor Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, Sometimes I think that all religious sites should be posted with signs reading, Beware the God. The places and occasions that people gather to attend to God are dangerous. They're glorious places and occasions true, but they're also dangerous. Danger signs should be conspicuously placed as they are at nuclear power stations. Or as novelist Annie Dillard says, she says, it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. I mean, in the book of Exodus, in the second book of the Bible, when Moses goes up with the mountain to meet with God, The mountain was wrapped in smoke. God descended in fire. The entire mountain trembled. The sound was overwhelming. God even said to the people to stay back from the mountain lest they be consumed by him. Beware of God. And I could give you many other examples in the Bible. I mean, God is kind of like uh, Aslan in the The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe where he's described as good, but not safe. You see, it's not safe for sinners to treat God however we choose. It's not safe for us to ignore him, to treat him lightly or casually, to not take him seriously. If we do these things, we can find ourselves in a dangerous place. And this is why the teacher posts a warning sign for us in verse 1. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Watch your step. Be careful about how you approach the house of God. He's essentially saying what Sidney Gradanus says in his commentary. He says, be careful. Think of what you are about to do. You are not just dropping in on a neighbor for a friendly chat. You're not just passing time with a friend. You are going to the house of God. You are going to the place where the almighty creator stoops down to meet with you. Guard your steps. There is a warning for us in this passage. And according to Derek Kidner, the warning in this passage is for the well-meaning person who likes a good sing and turns up cheerfully enough to church but who listens with half an ear and never quite get around to what he has volunteered to do for God. I mean, this passage is a warning for those of us with good intentions. We show up to church, we sing, we pray, we participate, but if we're honest, we do it half-heartedly. We worship God on autopilot. We do it without fully engaging. We're not fully present we're only half awake. Now, I've been in church all of my life. Not literally, of course, but there's never been a time in my life where I haven't been connected to the church. When I was growing up, every Sunday morning, my parents would take my siblings and I to church. They'd wake us up, load us in the car, and drag us down to church, whether we wanted to go or not. And then as I got older and I got my license and I got a part-time job, if I couldn't go in the morning, I would come at night. I mean, I've been involved in countless church services. I have come to church in all kinds of states. I have come with all kinds of attitudes. I've participated in all kinds of ways, which means this passage is speaking to me. This passage is something I need to hear. And maybe you do. As well. Now, this passage has something important to say to you, to me, to everyone who would approach God in worship. And the teacher gives us three things that we should do when we approach the house of God to worship. He calls on us to do three things as we draw near to the house of God. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It is to listen up. Listen up. This is what the teacher says in verse 1. He says, Go near to listen. Come to church with your ears wide open. Now, let's be honest. When we come to church, we do plenty of listening. We listen to the worship leader, to the songs, to the announcements, to the prayers, We listen to the Bible reading, the sermon, the benediction. I mean, the service, the whole service is filled with words. We do plenty of listening when we come to church. But let's admit that it's possible for us to listen without really listening. I remember when I was growing up, there would be occasions, usually when I was playing Xbox or playing footy in the yard, when mum would call out to me and say, dinner's almost ready, come and set the table. Now I would hear her, but I wouldn't always listen. I would keep doing what I was doing until she had to come out and say, excuse me, didn't you hear me? Now I did hear her, but I didn't listen. I didn't respond, I didn't obey. Now, the truth is, we sometimes do this with God. We hear what He says to us, but we don't really listen. We don't respond. We don't obey. This is what the teacher goes on to say in the second half of verse 1. He says, "'Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools.'" Now, according to Ian Proven, who's a commentator on the book of Ecclesiastes, the sacrifice of fools is careless observance of religion, unattached to any genuinely Godward movement of the soul, and enacted out of custom, peer pressure, or habit. It is mindless and heartless participation in worship. It's just going through the motions. It's coming to church, hearing the songs, the prayers, the word of God, hearing all that God has to say to us, but not really listening, not being changed, not obeying, not responding. It's coming on a Sunday to worship God, but forgetting all about God by Monday. Now, let me be clear, the teacher here is not talking to the sincere seeker. It's not wrong to come to church, to to seek God, to want to know more about Jesus, to explore the claims of the Bible. The teacher here is talking to the sleepy believer. The believer who has fallen asleep at the wheel of their faith. Now, the scary reality is that this is so easy to do, and it's so difficult to spot. Is what the teacher goes on to say in the rest of the verse. He says, these people, he says, they do not know that they do wrong. I mean, maybe you have fallen asleep at the wheel of your faith and you don't even realize it. There's no love, there's no desire, there's no affection for God. You know, I'm a church leader and I've got to admit that I've found myself in this position before. I've got up to preach simply because I have to. I've prayed for others and with others when I've barely been praying myself. It's a scary place to be, which is why it's so, so important for us to ask ourselves, why do I come to church? How do I come to church? Am I coming with my ears open wide? Am I coming ready to hear from God and to be changed by God? Now I know that sometimes just getting to church is a win. I know there are mornings when the kids are feral, when the toast gets burnt, when you fight with your spouse in the car on the way to church and you pull into the parking lot, you step out, you plaster a smile on your face, but your heart's not in it. I mean, this is reality. There are going to be difficult days at church. There are going to be days where you feel flat and unengaged. There's going to be days where it's hard to really listen There's going to be days where the sermon is a dud, where the songs are off key. I mean, this is just reality. There'll be difficult days in church. You can count on it. But here's the question. In the midst of the difficulty, do you recognize the importance, the beauty, the grandeur, the wonder of the church? You know, Joshua Bell is one of the world's greatest violinists He plays violins that are worth upwards of $4 million. He sells out all of the music halls all across the world. One day, he decided to pretend to be a busker at a subway station in Washington, D.C. He he kind of disguised himself, and he played there for 45 minutes. Over a 1,000 people came past Joshua Bell, playing some of the most beautiful music in the world. And only a handful stopped. Only a handful recognized the beauty of what was in front of them. You know, on the surface, the church might not always look like that much, but do you know that God loves the church? Do you know that God dwells among his church? Do you know that God speaks to his church through His word? Do you recognize the wonder, the importance, the beauty of the church? And do you come to church with your ears wide open, ready to hear from God? Ready to be changed by God? Now you might be thinking, well, you know, that sounds great, but how do I do this? How can I do this practically? How can I come to church ready to listen up? Let me offer a few suggestions. The first is this, come. That's it. That's the suggestion. Come, resolve, decide, determine to come to church. I mean, this is the ministry of just turning up. Did you catch what the teacher said in verse 1? He said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Not if, but when. If means maybe, when means certainty. I like what Tony Payne says in his helpful little little book called How to Walk into Church. He says one of the most important acts of love and encouragement we can all engage in is the powerful encouragement of just being there. Because every time I walk into church, I'm wearing a metaphorical t-shirt that says God is important to me and you are important to me. And on the back, it says, and that's why I wouldn't dream of missing this. The first step to being ready to listen to God is to come. The second step is to come prayerfully. To pray about Sundays before Sundays. To pray during the week. To pray the night before. To pray with the family in the car on the way to church. And to pray specifically that God would give us open ears and soft hearts to hear what he wants to say to us. If we want to be ready to listen to God, we need to come, and we need to come prayerfully. Thirdly, we should also come on time. Now, like I've already said, sometimes I get it, just getting to church is a win. But if we're not at least aiming to be here on time, If we're not at least giving ourselves enough time to find a park, to check the kids in, to find a seat, we are far more likely to be rushed and to be frazzled, and far less likely to be ready to listen to God. I mean, to show up early or on time to church, it's one simple way that we can honour God and love others. I mean, who shows up early to church? Well, it's the volunteers and it's the visitors. And so if we show up early or on time to church, we are saying to the volunteers, what you do matters. I'm here, I'm ready to participate and to engage. And if we show up earlier or on time, we are saying to the visitors, you matter to God and you matter to us. I'm here ready to reach out to you and ready to welcome you. Imagine the witness our church could be if we all adopted that attitude. If we want to be ready to listen to God, we need to come. We need to come prayerfully. We need to come on time. And fourthly and finally, we need to come expectantly. We need to come expecting that God will speak to us. Now, one of the main ways that God speaks to us is through his word, through the Bible. And what we do each and every Sunday is we open up the Bible. We read from it. We preach from it. We proclaim it. And so one of the ways that you can come to church ready to listen to God is you can come with your Bible. You can come with it open in front of you, ready to hear from God. You can also come having read the passage that we'll be exploring on that Sunday. I mean, if we are soaking our minds in the truths of the Scripture passage before we come, we will be far more ready to hear from God and to listen to Him. And so these are just a few small steps that we can all take to help us be ready to listen up. We can come, we can come prayerfully, we can come on time, and we can come expectantly. This is what the teacher calls us to do. The first thing he calls on us to do as we approach the house of God is to listen up. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. It is to watch what you say. To watch what you say. First, the teacher says we should open our ears. Second, he says we should learn to close our mouths. This is what he says in verses 2 to 3. He says, "'Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool.'" Now, the Bible has a lot to say about our words, especially about limiting our words. For example, Proverbs 10, verse 19, in the message paraphrase says, The more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. But notice here, the teacher is talking specifically about the words that we speak before God. Now, of course, every word we speak is before God, but here in this context, he's talking about the words we speak when we worship, when we pray, when we sing, when we preach. Why should we limit what we say when we worship God? Well, the teacher tells us here in verse 2, because God is in heaven and you, us, are on earth. In other words, we are creatures, God is the creator. God is above us, superior to us. He is sovereign over us. And so we should be careful about what we say. Now, we do this all the time, even with other people. I mean, when you enter into the presence of someone who is in a position of authority over you, you are careful about what you say. I remember when I was in year 12, I was invited to lunch at Parliament House. I was there at a table with a few other students, with the principal from my school and with a member of Parliament. Now, you better believe that I was careful about what I said during that lunch. I didn't just blurt out whatever came into my mind. I measured my words, not to be fake or phony, but to be respectful and reverent. And so here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we pay attention to what we say in worship? Do we mean what we say in worship? Do we mean the words of the songs that we sing? You know, sometimes when we sing the the beautiful hymn, I Surrender All, I've got to admit, I I, I think to myself, really? Do I really surrender all? Have I really surrendered all? Sometimes I, I don't sing the words. I'm not sure if that's wrong or not. What about when someone leads us in prayer? When we say amen at the end of the prayer, it means we're saying, let it be so. I agree. Have we really participated and engaged in that prayer? What about when we recite something like the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer? Do we think about the words that we're saying or do we just kind of mouth them repeatedly? What about when we talk with someone after the service and we say to them, well, I'll pray for you? Do we mean it? do we do it? The issue is not necessarily the amount of our words, the volume of our words. I mean, God does not necessarily want our worship services to be totally silent, though I think it'd be good for us, probably, to have some more silence. Now, the issue is the sincerity of our words. Do we mean them? Do we mean what we sing? Do we mean what we pray? Because if we don't, All of the big words, the long prayers, all of the religious talk, it doesn't really mean anything. God sees right through it. See, God is far more interested in our honesty than our eloquence. I mean, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He gave us this instruction. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We don't have to manipulate God. We don't have to twist God's arm with our long prayers and our long words. We just simply need to ask Him. He knows what we need. He is our Father. And so as we draw near to the house of God, the teacher calls on us to listen up. He calls on us to watch what we say. And finally, he says, do what you say. Do what you say. In verses four to six, the teacher refers to vows. Now, a vow is when someone says to God, God, if you will do this for me, I will do this for you. Think about the vow that Hannah makes in the book of 1 Samuel. She said, God, if you will give me a child, I will devote him to you. He will be raised at the temple. Samuel was born and Hannah fulfilled her vow. Or think about Louis Zamperini from a couple of weeks ago. He said, God, if you will send rain, I will devote my life to you. Now it took a little while, but Louis kept his vow. Now the teacher warns us in these verses that if we are going to make a vow, we better make sure that we keep it. Because the temptation will be, once God gives to us what we ask for, the temptation will be to not fulfill our side of the bargain. I mean, I'm sure that when Samuel was born, Hannah probably thought, I don't know if I really want to send him to the temple anymore. And this is why the teacher actually says in verse 5, it's better if we don't even make vows. You See, God takes it very seriously when we make promises to him and we fail to keep them. I think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They made the vow to give give the proceeds, all of the proceeds, from the sale of one of their properties to the church to be distributed to the needy. But they actually secretly kept back some of the proceeds. And what ended up happening is that they were struck dead. We read in verse 11 of Acts chapter 5, And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things which is not surprising at all. See, it's a serious thing to make a vow before God. Now, you might not think you've made any vows, but most of us, if not all of us, have. I mean, if you're married, you've made a vow before God to be faithful to your spouse till death do us part. If you've had your children baptised, you've made a vow to God to instruct them and raise them in the Christian faith. If you're a member of this church... You've vowed to participate, to attend, to serve, to love, to give. If you're a leader in our church, an elder or a deacon, you've made a vow. We've made vows to care, to protect, to instruct, to guide. I mean, it's a serious thing to make a promise to God. Now, I'm not saying that God will strike us dead or reject us if we fail to keep our vows in some of these areas. I mean, Jesus came to pay the penalty for our broken vows, for our broken promises. But God is asking us the question today, are you doing all that you can to fulfill your vows? Are you doing what you've said you will do? How are you going with your marriage vows? Do you need help? Do you need to reach out to a friend? Do you need to talk to a Christian counsellor? Do you need to do the marriage course that Ben has highlighted in this week's blog? What about with your children? Are you discipling them to know Jesus? Are you reading the Bible with them? Are you praying with them? Are you talking about Jesus in just everyday conversation? What about as a church member? Are you faithfully participating, attending, serving, giving... If you've been on the fringes for the last few months because of COVID, are are you starting to reintegrate and reconnect? Are you starting to draw near again to the house of God? What about any other vow that you've made in your life? Are you seeking to do what you can to keep it? See, as we draw near to the house of God, as we come to participate in worship of God, the teacher is calling on us to listen up, to watch what we say, and to do what we say. This passage is a warning to us to not play games with God. If we do play games with God, we might just find ourselves in a very dangerous place. And this is why the teacher concludes in verse 7 by saying, "...much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God." Now, to fear God does not mean to be afraid of God or to be terrified of Him. To fear God means to revere Him. It means to stand in awe of Him. It means to come into His presence with reverence. It means to give Him the honor that He deserves. And so here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What's our attitude towards God and towards the house of God? Do we just saunter in whenever it suits us? Do we serve when it's convenient? Do we slip away when it gets difficult or boring or inconvenient? Do we come to the house of God simply to have our needs met? Or do we come to worship God? You know, it's always interesting or confusing to me when people say after a Sunday service, well, I didn't like the music today. And listen, I've been there, I'm guilty of this, I've done this. But I always want to say, well, that's okay because it wasn't for you. We weren't singing to you, we're singing to God. You see, we often ask the wrong question after a worship service. We ask ourselves, did I like the sermon? Did I like the singing? When we should be asking ourselves, did I listen? Did I engage? Did I worship? The worship service is not about us. The church is not about our preferences. It's not the house of Adam, it's the house of God. God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a series of fictional letters from a senior devil named Screwtape to a junior devil, and he's guiding him about how to draw a Christian away from God. And this is what Screwtape writes in one of the letters. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him, until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic, where the enemy, that's God, wants him to be a pupil. Now, I'm not saying there are never any legitimate reasons to leave a church. There are, but there are also a lot of illegitimate reasons. And God wants us to be pupils and disciples, not consumers and critics. In fact, the Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. Jesus is so devoted to his church that it's as if he has married them. He's so devoted to them, he will never leave them or forsake them. What about you? You know, if you treat my bride poorly, we're not going to get on very well. How do you treat Jesus' bride? If you treat the bride of Jesus lightly or poorly or flippantly, You cannot expect to have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now the answer to all of this, it's not to draw away from God in fear. It's actually to draw near to God in faith. Now you might be thinking, yeah, right. I mean, the God who thunders, the God who strikes people down, no thank you. You see, here's the glorious good news of the gospel. It's that the God who thunders, he has not remained distant from us. He has not remained in heaven. God has come from heaven to earth to be near to us in Jesus Christ. He has come near for you and for me. He has given his life for you and for me. He has risen from the grave for you and for me so that we might know God so that we might come home to God, so that we might draw near to God with confidence. I love what we read in Hebrews chapter 4, which says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The God who made everything, the God who gave us the gift of life, the God who thunders is the God who gave the gift of his Son so that we might come home, so that we might draw near to him, so that the presence of God might not be dangerous to us, but that it might be the safest and the dearest place in the universe. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you that you are worthy of our worship and our praise and our honor. And Lord, we repent of where we have entered into your house half-heartedly and flippantly and lightly. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we worship you with reverence and awe and wonder. Help us to see the church as you see it, precious and beautiful. And Lord, help us to treat it in the way that you would call us to. Help us to come ready to listen up, ready to watch what we say and ready to do what we say. Forgive us where we failed. Help us as we go out to be the people that you're calling us to be. And Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand? for this closing blessing from God's word. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes. God bless.